This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Second chapter of John's Gospel, reading from verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Let me just note something here before we continue. Those are the last recorded words of Mary in Scripture. And isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit chose those final recorded words? No better words she could have spoken that whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. What does this story teach us about the Lord, apart from the obvious that he met a need where they needed more wine at a wedding feast? What is the Holy Spirit trying to tell us through this story? Well, verse 11 makes it very, very clear. This beginning of miracles or signs to Jesus and King of Galilee and manifested his glory. The four Gospels between them record about 35, 36 miracles of the Lord Jesus. And those three dozen are just actually a sampling of the many, many acts of Christ that he did. As Peter said, he went about doing good. And during his three and a half years on earth, in Matthew 12, 15, it says... And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Matthew 14, 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion towards them, and he healed their sick. Now we don't know how many is in a multitude, but we do know that when Jesus fed the 5,000, it was called a multitude of people. 
And so you can imagine out of the thousands and thousands, there must have been literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who received a miracle and got a healing touch from Jesus. And John writing as an old man uh, in John 21, 15, 25, here's what he said. And there were also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. In other words, he's saying, I have lost count of the miracles and the good things that Jesus did in those three and a half years. Jesus' miracles transcended and superseded all the laws of nature. They defied logic, they defied explanation. Remember that Adam was given power and authority over everything when God created him. But Adam lost that dominion that God had given him. He lost it completely. But however, when Jesus came, who's the last Adam, then Jesus had no sin and he had all power and all authority under God. And we see many, many times how he exercised that power and authority, even over nature. He was able to calm the storm. He was able to still the sea. In fact, he was able to walk on water. You remember the time when the disciples had been fishing all night? They caught nothing and they came back the next morning. Jesus standing there, he told them to cast the net over the right side of the ship. And they got such a shoal of fish that came into that net. And it was the wrong time. It was the wrong time of the day. It was the wrong way to fish. They never would have done that in a million years. But Jesus had the power to direct that shoal of fish right into their net because he had that power to do that. Do you remember whenever Peter came to Jesus about paying the temple tax? And Jesus, in order to keep things right, he said, here's what to do. Go out into the Sea of Galilee and cast a hook in, not a net, but just a hook, a fishing line. And the fish that you will catch will have money in its mouth. Imagine all the millions upon millions of fish in the Sea of Galilee. And to catch that one fish would have been, what would have been the odds of that? But the power of Christ was able to get that one fish to come over from the Sea of Galilee right to where Peter's hook was and catch that fish. You remember in Mark 1, 12 and 13, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, it says immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the story of Jesus in the wilderness temptations, my mind immediately wants to go to those three temptations. But notice here the Holy Spirit records also that he was with the wild beasts. And in ancient Israel, there was literally wild beasts. There was bears. There was lions. Remember David killed the lion and the bear. There was bears and lions. And so they were roaming all over that area where Jesus was, but not one would touch him. I don't know. It doesn't say. I can only surmise. I can have a little guess and wonder that any of them come to Jesus in that wilderness and that he, pet, he was the creator of all things. I wonder, did they come to their creator at that moment in the wilderness? Do you remember how he entered into Jerusalem in that week of his life? And how he was on the colt, the fold of an ass. 
upon which man had never ridden. It was an unbroken colt. And when Jesus stepped upon it, it never bucked, it never kicked, it never brayed. It was completely and utterly at peace and calm because the master, the creator of the universe was on its back. And it must have been so pleased and happy that the king of all kings and lord of all lords was sitting on its back. Imagine if God was to come to you and tell you that he was going to give you a worldwide ministry of signs and wonders that would be unparalleled in all human history from the days of Christ. And that from that moment on, you would be able to raise the dead and heal every manner of illness and disease. Even if you wished to, you could walk on water and calm storms. And that you would launch this ministry and your first miracle would show absolutely the glory of God. The glory of God would be manifested in your life by the first miracle that you would do. What would you choose? Would you be like Elijah? Would you call fire down from heaven as Elijah did? That would get the attention of everybody, wouldn't it? That would get you on the God channel immediately, wouldn't it? Would you take a stick and go to a great river and point the stick and it parted and you could walk through on dry land like Moses and Joshua did? Could you do that? What would you choose as your first miracle? Notice that Jesus chose none of those things. None of them. He chose to manifest his glory in an obscure little village in the foothills of Galilee. At an ordinary, everyday event, a little country wedding. That's where he chose to do his first miracle and manifest his glory. And so I think that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us some things through this story. Notice here, he manifested his glory by involving himself in the ordinary lives of ordinary people. This is God in human flesh, and he's coming among ordinary people. And he does his first miracle at a little wedding feast of unknown people. (laughs) Not among the elite in Jerusalem, (coughs) not among the... (laughs) among the the great people, as it were, or the famous, or the religious establishment of the day, but with just ordinary five-eighths people, just plain vanilla people. This wedding place with some family and friends was a common day event. And yet that's where Jesus chose to perform his first miracle and to manifest his glory. So it was at a wedding place. Or he went to the workplace. He went down to the shores of Galilee where Peter, James, and John were mending their nets. 
That was their work. That was their business. That was their job. And Jesus went to their workplace and talked to them and called them. You see, sometimes in our minds, we, we separate our, our work life from our spiritual life or our business from church or whatever. But for God, it should be all the same for us. And Christ meets us in the ordinary places, in the marketplace, in the workplace. Jesus was always in the marketplace. I don't know if you've ever been to an Eastern market or an Asian market, but they're full and they're bursting with people and there's all kinds of hubbub going on and you're rubbing shoulders with everybody around you. Jesus loved to be in the midst of all of that. And it was there he touched ordinary people or in the place of worship where he would go into the, the place where the woman would meet in the temple where those receptacles for the offerings were placed. And he stood there and watched. And how observant he was that he saw that little widow putting in her last two mites. But you see, that's Jesus. With the ordinary people, with the little people, with the people that nobody else would notice. And he called his disciples over and told them what she had done. There was lots with lots of money thrown in much. He wasn't overly impressed with that. It was that one little woman who had only two mites left. That really impressed him. Or at the sickbed, Peter's mother-in-law had a fever, and Jesus was there. Or at the deathbed, Jairus' daughter. Don't trouble the master any further. The child is dead. <laughs> but Jesus put them all out, didn't he? Little maid, I say unto you, arise. Or at the graveside with Mary and Martha. Somebody noticed that the first recorded miracle of Jesus was at a wedding. And the last recorded miracle in John, this is, the Gospel of John, the last recorded miracle in John is at a funeral. At the gladdest place and at the saddest place, Jesus was there. And Thursday here at this altar, we had the gladdest place, a young couple getting married. And Saturday at the funeral, we had the saddest place. And Jesus was at both by his spirit. He's there. Religion tends to cut men off from the real world. You think of the, the fakers, the holy men of Israel or, or of India, and how they would set up a pole maybe for 40 days or for two months and starve themselves. But they're cut off from society. Or men and women who would cloister themselves away for years on end. But not Jesus. Oh, there was moments in his humanity when he wanted to be alone and he would go up the mountain to pray with his to his father but for the most part he wanted to be around people uh, Christianity calls for separation but never isolation right. we're to be in the world but not of it 
We're separated from the world, but not isolated from it. Religion wants to isolate people. So he manifested his glory by the involving of himself in ordinary lives of ordinary people. And by the type of miracle he gave, Moses turned water into blood, Jesus turned water into wine. God was about to do a new thing. A new day was dawning. A new covenant was about to be made. Isaiah 55 and 13 tells us this. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. Something was going to change. Instead of law, there would be grace. Instead of justice, mercy. Instead of penalty, pardon. Instead of retribution, redemption. Instead of damnation, salvation. Instead of Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. Christ gives us beauty for ashes. The oil of gladness for mourning and garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. See, Jesus was about to change things. There was going to be a great emphasis on grace and mercy and compassion. He manifested his glory by the quality of life that he imparts. Verse 10, it says, he kept the best wine until the last. That's the opposite of what the devil does. Remember the prodigal who got his father's inheritance? He wanted it now. I want it right now. I don't want to wait till you're dead. That could be years. Give it to me now. And he got it, and he went into the far country. And he thought that was the best wine. But he found out it wasn't, didn't he? He ended up in the pig pen. A broken derelict he was desperate to go back to the Father's house. And thank God he truly repented and did go back to the Father's house and the Father was waiting on him to receive him back again because of the grace of God. Remember Onesimus, that young slave of Philemon, the Christian businessman, how he stole from him and he ran away to the big city thinking this was the best wine? <laughs> but it wasn't. And in the big city he ended up in jail with the Apostle Paul and his life was about to be changed forever because Paul led him to Christ and sent him back again to his master but you see they thought it was the best wine at the beginning but it wasn't the best wine for us was when Christ came into our lives wasn't it huh. some of us thought we were doing alright didn't we Thought we were having a great time. But then it all turned sour. It wasn't so good anymore. And then we realized without Christ, it wasn't going to get better. <laughs> it was going to get worse. But we came to Christ and we found the best wine. The best wine. See, the natural order is deterioration, isn't it? The body grows weaker. The flower fades. The garment goes threadbare. The heart of man grows ever more stubborn and rebellious and wicked. No wonder, Jeremiah said, who can know it? But when a man or a woman comes to Christ, 
then you find you got the best wine. <laughs> and let me say that if you are a believer today and you live all of your life for Christ, the best is yet to come. Amen. No matter how good it's going to be in this world, for us, the best is in store. The best wine is yet to come. Thank God. I has not seen or ear heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But when we get to heaven, you know what we'll say? The half was never told me. When the queen of Sheba, she heard all the stories about Solomon, so much that she came from Ethiopia to visit with a great king. And when she got there and she heard all of his wisdom and saw all of his riches, she said, the half was never told me. <laughs> and wherever we get to the glory, that's what we'll say, the half was never told me. And by meeting the simplest of needs, this is how he manifested his glory. The wine ran out. How embarrassing. Here's this young man. It's his first day with his new wife. And it was his responsibility to make sure there was enough wine. See, these wedding feasts would last for a week. Six, seven, eight days. And so his job was to make sure. Now, whether there was more guests turned up than expected, and in Eastern weddings that would happen, or whether they drunk more than they than they. And he thought they were going to drink. But for whatever reason, the wine was running out fast. And he was in a pickle. What was he going to, how embarrassing was this going to be? In front of all the guests and all his in-laws and outlaws were there. It'd be awful. And Mary went to Jesus, didn't she? Whatever he says unto you, do it. And Jesus granted him and them an amazing miracle. What a miracle. What a first miracle that was. Defied all nature, all chemistry, all the laws of physics. You think how a vine would have to be grown. It would have to be in the soil. It would have to be fertilized. It would have to be tended. It would have to start to grow grapes. Grapes would have to be plucked. Then it would have to be squashed. Then wine would have to be. It would take months and months and months. But in a second, in an atom of time, that water turned to wine. Somebody said that water blushed in the presence of Jesus <laughs> and immediately became wine. What does God care about a wee couple in an obscure village whose party was about to come to an abrupt end? He cared a lot, didn't he? And he saved the day. Of all the miracles he could have chosen, of all the places he could have chosen, that was the one. Well, that little couple on that special day. He cares about her needs. He cares about her homes. He cares about her daily needs. He cares about everything. Sally and I, on Friday morning, we were coming out of 
you know, the, the uh, sophisticated complex Marks and Spencers are and so forth. And you know what it's like when you're getting, especially on a Friday, when you come out of there to try to get around that roundabout. It's a nightmare. And just when you think there's a gap, then there's some idiot comes around on two wheels squealing to get in. Ha. And I was moaning and groaning. Sally was sitting there. And then she said, the Lord will get us out. And then me, <laughs> the pastor, <laughs> the Bible teacher, <laughs> here's what I said. I said, I think, I think God's got more stuff to do than get me out into this roundabout. I think he's a bigger fish to fry today than that. Sally says, mm, I don't know. She says, uh, does he not know but there's one spiral that falls? Does he not know but counts the hairs of her head? And I had to admit, you're absolutely right. I was rebuked in a nice way, in a scriptural way. And I was, I was right. I was moaning and groaning, forgetting that he knows about the sparrow. He counts the hairs in her head. And sure enough, well, if you sit long enough there, the law of average, you're going to get out at some point. But within seconds of that, she says, now when I tell you, gun it. <laughs> gun it. Because <laughs> that's what she does. I'm Kenny, you know, nice and slow. And she just guns it. <laughs> Peter says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Every little detail. Remember Jairus' daughter, he raised her from the dead. What was the first thing he said when he raised her from the dead? Give her something to eat. Probably hadn't eaten days, and he was aware of that. Give her something to eat. Remember the man of Gadara, the demonized man, and how he drove those evil spirits out of him. He was running about naked in the graveyard, cutting himself. And after that, he was found, what? Clothed and sitting and in his right mind. Clothed. Jesus must have said to the disciples, get this man some clothes. Restore his dignity. I don't want him embarrassed. Get him clothes. He thinks of the little things. Everyday things. He cared about the Syrophoenician's daughter. He cared about the centurion's servant. He cared about blind Bartimaeus. He cared about the 5,000 being hungry. He cared about all of these things. And let me finish with this. John chapter 20. This is usually an Easter thing. Remember how that Mary of Magdala, how she was so loved Jesus because he cast seven devils out of her and her life was radically changed forever. But she really loved the master. But she watched him being crucified. She knew that he was put in a tomb dead. But she wanted to pay him homage to go and to finish off the, the burial that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had begun. And how she had went. But when she got there, the stone had been rolled away. And the tomb was empty. And, and it, was, it was early morning. It was still dark. And she was weeping. And she was crying. And she was broken. 
verse 11 of John 20. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. It was still dark. She was broken. She was weeping. She wasn't expecting a resurrection. None of them were. That wasn't even on their radar. She was going to look for a dead body. She saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Notice at first he didn't use her name. He just says, Woman, who are you seeking? Why are you weeping? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Imagine, on her own. Yet she was prepared with any strength she had to take his body away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And as soon as he said Mary, she said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher, master. There was something the way he spoke her name that only he could say it that way. Nobody ever said her name like that. And instantly she recognized it was Jesus. Now here's my point. Listen to this. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, because obviously she fell at his feet and wanted to grab. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. Think of this for a moment. Jesus was on earth for over 30 years, 33 years. Hadn't been to the father in 33 years long to be. At one point he was so angry, his disciples, how long must I bear with you? <laughs> Heaven was awaiting him. The conqueror, the mighty, victorious king of kings. All heaven was waiting, standing on tiptoe waiting to welcome him home. But heaven would have to wait. Heaven would have to wait because there's one woman who was crying because she so desperately missed him. And Jesus wouldn't leave until he met with her. And he says, Mary. <laughs> and as soon as he said that, all her fears were gone. And she must have dried her tears. Heaven would have to wait. See, Jesus is interested in every single thing in your life every detail we spoke last Sunday on bottled tears he keeps her tears in his bottle are they not in his book every detail of your life he's interested in the little things maybe even getting out into that roundabout I know you maybe pray for a car parking space at Tesco's and you only hope there's not another Christian praying for that same car parking space <laughs> because then you're going to find out who's the best prayer. <laughs> but he cares.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.